Welcome to this week's The Road Less Travelled adventure series coming to you from South Australia. And we must mention too that while it's great to be out exploring, please make sure that you gain the relevant uh, permission from the relevant authorities, whether it's private landowners or government or Aboriginal services, to access some of these great places that we do visit. It was known as this barren and godforsaken land in the footsteps of Charles Sturt. Now, as a student, many of us learnt the stories of Australia's earliest explorers as part of history. The explorers were prominent, although few became well known. Those who did, because of their spectacular success or ultimate failure, in many ways epitomised what was admirable in the Australian spirit. Their reserves of moral and physical courage were inspiring and challenging. Many possessed a faith that sustained them in extremes, and Charles Sturt was perhaps the greatest of these men. It was Sturt who discovered the River Murray, which eventually gave birth to South Australia. Within a few years, he was in the young colony and contributing to its development. One of his greatest contributions was his further exploration, which at the time may not have appeared as significant or important, but would later help with the opening up and development of northern South Australia. Settlement of Australia began on the coastal fringes, but as population increased, settlers wanted to know where the productive country lay towards the centre. A number of explorers had penetrated beyond the coastal regions to some extent, but the majority of the inland remained unknown. Was it mainly scrub and desert, or did a huge lake or inland sea exist there? Sturt, like Edward John Eyre, had noticed many birds migrating to the northwest when he was near the Darling River in 1828 and others migrating north from Adelaide in more recent years. He deduced from this that where the two paths of migration intersected, deep in the inland there should be good country and perhaps a huge body of water. He believed that if he could travel far enough into the desert, he reckoned, sooner or later I shall be stopped by a large body of inland waters. Naturally, Sturt hoped for personal gain and reward from his efforts to find good country for future settlement and extend geographical and scientific knowledge. When he was appointed at short notice to lead an expedition to achieve these aims, he assembled a large number of men. Seventeen officers and men, ex-convicts amongst them, animals such as bullocks, horses, sheep and dogs, and equipment including a whale boat and a sailor for expected duration of a year. The expedition left Adelaide on the 10th of August 1844 after a good breakfast and many speeches. One simply has to read the many stories or even search journals to the suffering both mental and physical, isolation, loneliness, thirst, hunger, sickness and infighting of the men amongst themselves had such a dramatic impact that it's a wonder that they achieved what they did. When they left in August, Sturt was already 49 years old. Not exactly the best age for a trip like this. However, to everybody's surprise, he did much better than some of the younger members. His alex, they call it elasticity of movement when climbing was amazing. He was, by all accounts, a mobile, strong and leith man. He was a challenge for others to keep up with him. The first stop was made at Ayres Place at Murundi on the Murray, Mir- Murray River. From there they moved to Lake Bonnie where some surveying was done. Already though by this time personal dislikes, bickering and disunity had set in. One of the problems was travelling on a Sunday. 
A month after leaving Adelaide, they reached the Rufus, where some 50 Aborigines were killed by police and volunteers three years previous. By the end of September, they were at the Darling, where they noticed the stark contrast of the desolate and sterile country they had crossed with that of the beautiful park-like scenery they now enjoyed. Here, Sturt encountered some Aborigines who recognised him from his trip down the Murray nearly 15 years ago. When they reached the Wheelie they were in for a shock as it was not the big river they had hoped to find. So far they had experienced few major problems. Relations with the local Aborigines were good and their peaceful passage contra- contrasted starkly with the report of the death of John Charles Drake, a young explorer who was speared three times while investigating country on the Eyre Peninsula. With the disappointing river, some members of Sturt's party started to express personal doubts regarding an inland sea. Even his Aboriginal guides would not venture away from the Darling. Sturt, though, had no doubts whatsoever. On the 17th of October, they left the river for the Barrier Ranges. About 20 kilometres northeast of present-day Broken Hill, they noticed a profusion of beautiful flower known as Sturt's Desert Pea, which later was adopted as the floral emblem of South Australia. The party was now experiencing temperatures of up to 65 degrees in the sun. That is 65 degrees centigrade. Stones on the ground were often too hot to handle the horse's shoes and their shoes had worn through to the centre after which the horses themselves became lame. Their feet often bled and average speed for the vast column was just over 2 kilometres per hour and on the 21st of December the thermometer recorded 55 degrees in the shade and 68 degrees centigrade in the sun. Sturt's search is believed to have ended somewhere near present-day Tibberborough, and it was at Depot Glen, 40 kilometres southwest of Tibberborough, where we are today, that Sturt abandoned a 30-foot 12-oar whaler boat that had been brought with the expedition. Depot Glen is approximately 12 kilometres from present-day Milparinka. On 27th of November, they reached the foot of the Barrier Ranges and turned north to head towards the pools of Campbell Creek Gorge and the Wilderness. They were now without Aboriginal guides. They were short of water, suffering in stifling conditions of 44 to 47 degrees during the day and dust, which was aggravated by millions of flies and mosquitoes. Having come this far, young Dr John Harris-Brown had serious doubts about Ayers Horseshoe Lake. He thought it more likely that there existed a chain of smaller lakes. It was not until 1858 that he was proved correct when Gregory Brothers penetrated between, between Lakes Blanche and Calabona. Beyond Mil- Milparinka Town are a number of sites relating to Sturt's expedition in 1845. Pool's Grave and the stone can left by Sturt are both on private property. They are open to the public courtesy of the owners of Mount Pool Station. These main sites are accessible to the public. Depot Glen is located 15 kilometres from Milparinka, Pool's Grave is 16 kilometres and Sturt's Cairn is around about 21 kilometres. These places are all reminders of Charles Sturt's 1845 expedition to Central Australia in search of that inland sea. Near Mount Pool Homestead is a waterhole on Preservation Creek known as Depot Glen. It was here that Sturt and his party were forced to camp for six months. They had arrived in the area during a severe drought and could not proceed because of lack of water. To the north of us at Depot Creek is the lonely grave of James Poole. He was Sturt's second in command who died of scurvy. 
The party buried him under a grevillea tree, carving his initials and the year 1845 into the tree, which still stands. Here is also a memorial headstone. On the top of Mount Poole there is a stone cairn which Sturt had his party built to give the men occupation, as he wrote. Sturt later wrote in his diary, I little thought that when I engaged in that work that I was erecting Mr Poole's monument, but so it was. That rude structure looks over his lonely grave and will stand for ages as a record of all we have suffered in the dreary region to which we were so long confined. Prospects started to look dim. So far, Sturt's frantic searching for an inland sea had resulted in crushing failure. Some of the men were affected by dysentery and the bickering among them was as bad as ever, if not worse. Finally, on the 27th of January, 1845, they reached Depot Glen, about 16 k's west of Milparinka, which contained a series of pools which could support them for several months. It proved the one place in a dismal region where they could survive for some months until the rains came and temperatures would be much lower. It was now time to update journals, make maps, write letters, stuff birds, collect mineral and biological specimens, mend carts and wagon wheels and, if at all possible, to do some exploring the neighbourhood. On the 10th of February, Sturt and Joseph Cowley left the depot to explore further north in 48 degree heat. They pushed 200 kilometres north from Depot Glen, but all they found were sand dunes. While at Depot Glen, the men left there suffered further from scurvy. Lead dropped from the pencils, teeth from combs fell off, razor handles split, boxes warped, nails loosened, tyres fell off the wheels. Shoe soles burnt off, ink dried in the pen before it could reach the paper. Stirrups were too hot to keep the feet in, hair ceased to grow, heat ruined everything. The highest recorded temperature was 57 degrees in the shade, 69 degrees in the sun. That's degrees, not Fahrenheit. During May, Sturt ordered that they build a pyramid on Red Hill of 18 foot height to keep the men occupied. He also started preparing to leave as soon as the rains came. They had been at Depot Glen for several months, unable to move either north or south. Sturt described the country as something that had no parallel on the earth's surface. On the 2nd of July it rained, but not even enough to wet the tents. Ten days later, it did. With it came flooding, and they had to break camp after six months to face now the cold and mud. On the 16th of July, as mentioned, James Poole died. He is buried here at the depot, which he had discovered. Sturt then decided to move to Lake Pinaru, a distance of nearly 100 kilometres northwest. They arrived on the 14th of August, established another base camp, and Sturt continued his search further north for the inland sea, taking 15 weeks' supply with him. On their first day, the party crossed 61 dunes in a 10-mile stretch. Some of these, and those on earlier occasions, had caused, a, had caused enormous problems for the bullocks with their heavy-loaded wagon when wheels would sink deeply into the loose sand. On the 25th of August, they attacked Sturt Stony Desert, followed by Air Creek ten days later. After pushing still further, he decided on the 7th of September to turn back. He felt utterly defeated being on the edge of the Simpson Desert and only 150 miles from the centre of Australia. Later calculations, though, would suggest that he was almost 300. Whereas he had hoped to be... He had hoped at the start to be stopped by a large body of water. He was stopped by sand and a lack of water. Finding the centre would have been left to one of his party's members, John McDougall Stewart. 
While Sturt considered crossing the Simpson, or not, his sunburnt men waited expectedly and wordlessly prepared to follow his orders to the death. Despite their bickering, they were very brave men, gaunt as scarecrows, ill from exposure, scanty food and muddy water, and astride horses that were leg-weary and reduced to skeletons. It would take 90 years for the Simpson Desert to be crossed by one Edmund Colson, and that was in 1936. On the 13th of October, Sturt and his men found a fine and broad creek which Sturt named Cooper Creek, about 15 kilometres from Inaminka. For nearly a month, sorties were made in all directions and in an effort to find their way to the centre, but to no avail, and on the 6th of November, Sturt called it quits and headed back. This was easier said than done. Temperatures were rising steadily once again and above 40 degrees for days on end. Sturt, Brown and Stewart and some of the other men all suffered from scurvy. Water and food was by now in short supply and equipment in poor condition. They really could not move, but to remain was to die slowly. In a last desperate effort, they killed some of their bullocks to use the hides for making bottles. These would be filled with all the available water for a dash to Floods Creek and eventually the Darling River. The whale boat was left behind after having been pulled and dragged for thousands of kilometres through creeks, sand, mud and over hundreds of dunes. The biggest irony being that they stood on the edge of the world's biggest inland sea, only it was underground. Had he been there in 1983, he would have seen a small inland where Lake Eyre was flooded. Unfortunately for Sturt, he came a million years too late. All the men did make it back without further loss of life. Sturt arrived home to his wife Charlotte and children on the 19th of January 1846 after an absence of 18 months. The remainder of the men arrived in Adelaide on the 28th of January. The rest is history, or is it? In such a short review like this, it is impossible to do justice to such an incredible story. Writer Ivan Rudolph has documented and investigated in 320 pages, which gives a far better, more interesting and fuller analytical account of this heroic attempt to find an inland sea, which also turned out to be a real drama, but also one of the most interesting true stories of utter determination, survival and early Australian exploration. In Sturt Steps follows a route that approximately has taken by Captain Charles Sturt during his 1844-45 inland expedition. With no public roads across the barrier ranges, we begin the journey further north at the line taken of that expedition. Leaving Broken Hill, the journey begins at Old Yanko Glen Turnoff on the Silver City Highway, heads over the ranges past Mount Gipps Station and Tarawinji Concepts ruins before meeting the road running northward from Silverton. Pine Blue Station and Sturt's Waterhole and Floods Creek is just a few kilometres further along. Continuing on, the journey breaks away to the east soon after Pineview Station. Whilst the expedition travelled northeastly from this point, our route will link approximately with the direction through Pimpara Lake and Pinkarni Stations. The journey for others continues northwards past Mount Arrowsmith into Milparinka and Depot Glen where we are. From Depot Glen, Sturt's final foray into the interior was actually to the northwest at Fort Grey, then on to Sturt's Stony Desert. A number of short expeditions were taken northwards past which is now Tibberborough, and so this route continues in that direction before, before turning towards Cameron Corner. There's plenty of points of interest along this route, including the rugged barrier ranges, numerous creeks, Floods Creek campsite, sand hills, salt lakes and pine forests, the Mount Arrowsmith Hills, Evelyn Creek, Depot Glen and Fort Grey. For more information, you can head to Fat Cat Media and you can read 
the excerpts of this barren and godforsaken land in the footsteps of Charles Sturt. Southern land.